say that repetition is the way to drive a point home to people's mind. So I have a phrase that I'm going to repeat several times in this morning's sermon. And that is, with God, nothing is impossible. Do you believe that? How many of you believe that with all your heart? With God, nothing is impossible. I want to share some of the things that go into, from Scripture, that go into making that a foundational truth for you if you're putting your faith and trust in Him. So I'll start with probably the first place it's mentioned in the New Testament, and that is in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. You know, you know the context of this, the birth of Jesus. So listen carefully. Verse 26, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Our text proclaims in verse 37, With God, nothing is impossible. Will you say that with me? With God, nothing is impossible. The context of this truth is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. It is biologically impossible for a human being to be born without a human father or the essence that a human father contributes to life. Now, I know that science is working diligently to try to disprove this verse and diligently to try to change that truth. But I'll stand here and say, as far as I'm concerned, it ain't going to happen in my lifetime. So you may want me to live a long time. But that very miracle of life has been promised by God in writing down through the ages. The very first prophetic scripture concerned itself with the birth of God's anointed one. God's been saying to the Jews through the Old Testament, I am going to send the Messiah. I'm going to send the anointed one. I'm going to send my son to this world. You're going to be able to see me through him. Genesis 3.15 promised the seed of the woman would defeat Satan. Victory over Satan and sin would be in the human form born of a woman. Isaiah 7.14 said the birth would be supernatural. A virgin would bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, 
which means God with us. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 said the child would be born, but it would be a son, and that it would be a son that would be given. A God's son would be born on earth and would be given to us for a sacrifice. Psalm 89.4 traced his ancestry back to David. All of these are distinctive and in particular references to the Jesus we know in the New Testament. And Micah 5.2 named the town of the child's birth Bethlehem. All of these predictions came true. And the possibility of just four of these being true in one man is one in one followed by 26 zeros which means it's a number higher than our national debt. Finally, something is higher than our national debt. <laughs> the probability of the hundreds of prophecy verses surrounding Jesus all coming true are impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. The Middle East has become the hotbed and centerpiece of the geopolitical world. Bible believers know that this is the very same part of the world which is the centerpiece of Scripture and Bible prophecy. Thousands of years ago, God made a promise to the father of the Jewish people that would affect them directly and the rest of the nations of the world indirectly to this day. Amen? This stuff about Israel that was promised a thousand years ago and 1,500 years ago and 700 years ago and 2,000 years ago are all for you to read in your newspapers today. In Genesis 15, 18, God promised the Jewish people a land. He promised them Israel and laid out the markers, the boundaries of it. In Ezekiel 17, 4, God said the Jewish people would be scattered to the wind. They'd have a homeland, and then all of a sudden they'd be ripped from that homeland, and they would be scattered around the world. Ezekiel 36, 24 said, I will take you from the heathen and gather you out of all countries and bring you onto your own land. God promised, after you've been scattered around the diaspora, some people call it, after you've been scattered to the four corners of the earth, I want you to hear my promise, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to take you from the four corners of the earth under the influence of non-Jewish people, and I'm going to bring you back again to your hand, homeland. May 15, 1948, Israel became a nation in a day, again. On May 30th, 1967, Jerusalem was won back into the control of Israel, fulfilling Jesus' words in Luke 21, 24. Quote, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive unto all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. May 30th, 1967, and on. The detailed, exacting, and accurate predictions coming true about any one nation are impossible by human standards. In fact, no nation on earth has ever been so described and detailed in terms of its past and its present and its future than Israel in the Bible. But with God... Nothing is impossible. But then, the very book from which these verifiably accurate prophecies are found in itself is a miracle book. This book is a miracle. 
This is what I believe with all my heart. This is not like any other book on the face of the earth. This is not just something gathered together from early manuscripts. It's not just something that you decide you can open up and start tearing apart. This book, it contains the truth, amen? And because it contains the truth, you can trust it. You can rely on its prophecies. You can rely on its promises. You can rely on its predictions. You can rely on its precepts. You can rely on what it has to say to you in your life today and now. The Bible itself is a testimony of the fact that with God, nothing is impossible. The Bible is the book of books. It's the monarch of all books. 66 different books authored by 40 different authors. It was written on six continents. It was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. It was written over a period of 1,600 years. But think of this. There were no collaborators. There were no editors. It was just one book dictated by God. It has a beginning. It has a middle. It has an end. It is without error in your language. Despite attempts to dismiss, destroy, minimize, or marginalize it by scholars, despots, and legislation, and the ACLU and any other group like them, despite all of that, this book stands. It is the most published and widely read book on the planet. Listen to some of these statistics. In just one year, the United Bible Societies distribute 17.7 million whole Bibles, 11 million New Testaments, 425 million selections from the Bible, 250 million uh, Americans own a Bible, and Gallup reported two years ago 126 million people read at the Bible at least once a month. Are you in that number? The miracle of the Bible is that God wrote a book. I mean, he must have thought it was pretty important to write this book. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. God wanted you to know some things. He didn't want you to be blind. He didn't want you to be ignorant, which means uninformed. He wanted you to be knowledgeable. He wanted you to know him because when you study God's word, you begin to know God. He reveals himself to you. He reveals his son Jesus to you. He reveals his plans to you. He reveals your purpose in this life as a Christian. It's all in this book. We don't need any other books. And we don't need somebody to stand up here in front of you and said, well, this is what the Bible says, but let me tell you from my years of scholarship what it means. Read it and believe it. Take it to the bank. Well, don't, but yeah, take it to the bank. Let them know what's going on. <laughs> Through the ages, God preserved the Bible for us. He made a promise. He said, forever, forever, this word is going to be preserved. He says this in Matthew 24 and 35, Jesus' words, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And how many attempts have there been to destroy the Bible and wipe it out? And it has not happened. It's been isolated places. You know, uh, we talked yesterday with Edwin about 
the Bible in China. Many Bibles are being printed in China. But in China, you have to have what's called a registered Bible. In other words, they'll go through the Bible and they'll eradicate anything that refers to the, de the deity of Christ or the kingship of Christ and words like that because they're afraid if the people get those thoughts in their head, there'll be a revolution. That it will be tantamount to trying to overthrow the government. That Jesus is Lord of your life. The government is Lord of your life in those countries. And so, in many countries, this book is torn apart. But you know what happens? The people themselves, the believers, when they know they can't get a Bible for everybody, they begin to make copies of it by hand. And they begin to distribute it among themselves. I remember stories of, of brethren missionaries going into China before the revolution and distributing Bibles and then getting locked out after the, re the communist revolution and not being able to go back and see the people they had come to love and who they had worked with for many years. But then China was opened up and certain people were allowed to come back and among them a number of representatives from the Church of the Brethren missionaries. And when they went to some of the villages that they had worked in, the Chinese people would come out of their huts, out of their homes, out of wherever they were, and they would come to these missionaries and open up their hands. And you know what they had? Handwritten portions of the Bible. And they said, thank you for leaving us the book in the first place. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. Psalm 119, verse 89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. The inspiration and, and preservation of the Bible transcends human understanding. You would think it's only natural for people to think that there must be mistakes in the Bible. There must be errors. There must be contradictions. And as many times as I've sat with people who told me there were, I asked them to show me. And you know what they said to me? Habada, 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 habada. A little Ralph Cramden business over there. If you show me these contradictions, and what you find out, if there is a legitimate question that comes up about these contradictions, if you look deeper, if you dig a little deeper, you'll find out that they're not contradictions, but you had to compare with them other scripture to get it cleared up. The miracles of Jesus are another demonstration of God's power. Of the 40 miracles performed by Jesus, 90% of them touch people's lives. And yet, what's the one miracle that you hear always in public? He walked on water. That's the one you hear. But what about these? In John 4, he healed a rich man's dying child with just one sentence. In Matthew 8, he healed a leper. In Matthew 9, he healed a paralyzed person. In John 5, he healed an impotent man. In Matthew 12, he restored a withered hand. In Luke 7, he raised a dead boy to life. In Matthew 9, he raised a dead girl to life. In John 11, he raised his friend Lazarus to life. In Matthew 9, he brought sight to a blind person. In Mark 5, he healed leukemia. Can you imagine these people having that kind of thing happen to them that one day when Jesus came into their life? When Jesus walked the street, there were no hospitals. There were no doctors in the fullest sense of the word. There were no medications. There were no emergency rooms. There was one thing of hope, one ray of hope for people that Jesus would pass through their town and heal them. Every attempt Jesus made to heal somebody was a success. Was no 
9 out of 10. To the brokenhearted and the emotionally wounded, think of this. Jesus cares about your heart. He cares about your mind and your soul. John 14, 1, he said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So many verses of scripture that speak to where you are emotionally, that can help dry your tears, that help you understand what's happening, that can lift your spirits and in that place of darkness, bring some light and bring some joy so that you will find encouragement as you go along. And there isn't a person sitting in this meeting house this morning who hasn't gone through a desperate or a dark time in their life and wanted to throw in, their, throw in the towel and throw up their hands, but God, and with God, nothing is impossible. The medical community, these healings seem impossible. So what? What does it mean to me and to you that with God, all things are possible? God said in Exodus 20, verse 3, Thou shalt not make unto me any graven image. Don't create an image of God that's not God. And we're so busy doing that as a culture, creating images of God and saying God condoned this and God condoned that and God teaches this and the Bible teaches that when the Bible teaches absolutely the totally different thing. Don't box God in. Don't create a God in your mind too big to be interested in your life. I hear that so many times. God doesn't have time for me. God doesn't have time for this problem that I'm experiencing. God cares about you. He cares about you in a crisis time when you're dealing with a problem at work. He cares about your sickness. He cares about your circumstance. He cares about your joys and your happiness. He cares about you. The bottom line is that he is an all-encompassing God. He cares about every aspect of your life. So don't create a God in your mind too small to be able to solve your problems. So I'll ask you a couple of questions, and in your own head, you can answer them for yourself. Can God save you from a destructive lifestyle? In other words, you're deeply ensconced in a, in a problem that's become an addiction. Can he save you from that? Can he change that? Can he deliver you from that? Can he mend your broken heart? How many of you have ever had a broken heart? A broken heart. God can mend the broken heart. Can he repair a broken marriage? Can he restore what hard living years have stolen? Can he change your stinking thinking? Your negativity? Can he change your poor self-image? So many kids today, they just, they don't like themselves. They're so broken, they're so hurting. The world has let them down. They feel like nobody cares for them. They don't know where love is. Their future seems, seems dim. Their future seems crowded over with the issues of the day. And they're confused and they're hurting. And the question comes up, who cares for you? And the answer is Jesus. Jesus cares for you. And he'll bring people into your life who care for you honestly and legitimately with no ulterior motives. Can he turn you from a victim 
into a victor. So many people feel like they're victims today. But God can help you overcome. He can get you past that place of victimhood and gives you a sense of self-esteem and self-worth and gives you to a place where you know that God's in control of your life, not a circumstance, not bad news. Can he change your life? Well, the greatest proof text for that is the resurrection. Changed life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's you. That's you. You're at a place where you feel that uh, your life is completely messed up or things are so rough and so bad and so overwhelming and you're kind of buried under it or you don't think that God can ever forgive you for fill-in-the-blank X. I want to tell you a quick story I've told so many of you over in the past, but I'm not going to put the details in. When I was in the business world, I had, the, I, had the, I had a position whereby I negotiated union contracts. In the city of New York, when you negotiated union contracts, you did so with people who more likely than not were mobsters. And I negotiated with a number of them, from the sheet metal workers union to the ornamental iron workers union to the, uh, to the independent production workers unions to the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, all of those had the opportunity to negotiate with them. Well, in the course of that, I met the one guy in the union who was president of a union that basically ran our factory. And he was the second leader of that, that union after the first leader died under mysterious circumstances. <clears throat> And I dealt with that fellow on a one-to-one -one basis. He knew I was a Christian. Uh, when I would go out to lunch, the first time I, I went out to lunch with them, and they, they were a bunch of uh, his, his boys, uh, they ordered wine all around, and I don't drink. And said, Bobby, you don't do no drinking? You're Italian and you don't drink? No, I don't drink. Why not? I have a conviction against it. Eh, forget about it. So... After a while, he got to realize that I was very serious about my faith. And a and, and whole bunch of years pass, and one day I get a call from him to go to his house on Staten Island. He was building a new house. I, I want to say it was over 5,000 square feet, and he owned about 10 acres of Staten Island right on the water. And I went to his home, and he took me up to the top of, the, of this building under, that was being constructed, and he put his arm around me. And he said, do you know why you're here? Then I said, okay, that's a good question. Why am I here? By the way, we were on the third floor. There was a big open spot there where there's no construction. So I'm looking down around 30, 40 feet. And I really am wondering why I'm there. <laughs> he said, because I want you to pray for me. And I want you to pray for my family. He said, things are going to happen pretty soon. And I'm going to be, it's going to be a rough spot for me. Would you pray for me? I consider you my pastor. I wasn't a pastor. I was a Christian in business. And I prayed for him. Well, eventually came to find out that he was kidnapped. Question came up about what was happening. Turned out another group had taken over the union. When I heard that, I knew it wasn't good news for that man. While he, was, while he was still in the business of the union, I would call his office 
And his secretary would say, well, you can't talk to him now. He's in his office reading the Bible and praying. See, he really came to know Jesus as his savior. I had the privilege of leading that man to Christ. I'd call up his secretary, he's in church, he's praying. So when he got kidnapped, my mind went to, he's probably dead. It wasn't long before they found out that he was dead. But I knew something, he really wasn't dead. He was more alive there than he had ever been in his entire life. He was safe in the arms of Jesus. Now I say to you, if a man like that can come to Jesus Christ and his life be changed, what can he do to you and your friends? I know, I know that Jesus is in the miracle business. And I know that he wants to perform a miracle in your life for whatever it is that's going on there. It's a choice. Choice is defined as the privilege of a people created by God with free will. Joshua 24, 15 says this, choose ye this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Change life knowing that with God nothing is impossible. He can tackle the promises, the problems along with you, bring resources into your life. If it's a problem at work, if it's a problem at home, it's a problem with the family, if it's a problem, whatever the problem is, God can bring resources to your side. He can reveal scripture and open your eyes. He wants to do that. All he's wanting to do, all he's waiting to do is waiting for you to choose, choose to let him do a miracle in your life. New life in Christ means a new start, a fresh beginning, a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance. Brings purpose, meaning, and significance in your life. Your past forgiven, never to be used against you again. A new attitude, not defeated, not negative, not victimous. Think of the possibilities for joy and peace and love. Sound impossible. But I know something. And I think maybe you know it too, that with God, nothing is impossible. Amen? Will you say it with me again? With God, nothing is impossible. Let's pray. So Father, this morning I just pray that you would work with folks here. I don't know. This is a message you gave me. I don't know why, except I thought to encourage folks. But there must be people here this morning who needed to hear this message. Must be people going through some tough times or some times of com confusion and chaos or whatever, or you wouldn't have given me a message like this for this moment. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Was this a message for you today? Is there something that the Lord wanted to tell you? Did you need his encouragement this morning? May I pray for you? this morning? If you are one of those, would you raise your hand this morning? Yeah. Yeah. Keep your hand up for a moment. Anybody else? Yep. 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 I know, I know it takes a little time for many of you around who needed a touch of the Lord. Now, the last time we did this, I asked you to come up. I'm not going to ask you to do that today. But I am going to ask you to believe that God is at work in your life. The God who promised never to leave you, never to forsake you.
And now I will pray for you. Father God, I pray your anointing over those who are in this place this morning, whom you touched through your word. I pray, Lord, that this had a calming effect. I pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit was at work. I pray that Satan is defeated. There can be people in the room with negative thinking and negative attitudes right now. Skeptics and cynics and doubters. I just pray, Lord, that you would answer questions for them, encourage them, let them know that you love them, and let them know that we love them too. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to believe that with you nothing is impossible, and then to try to achieve the impossible with Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen and amen.